Welcome to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Dr. Eric Balkavich and Dr. Kelly Halberman. We're talking about their new book, The Thyroid Debacle, The Undiagnosed Epidemic of Cellular Hypothyroidism. I've had Dr. Kelly Halberman on the podcast before. She has so much information to share with us, not only about thyroid, but also about the concepts of phase 2.5 detoxification. And now Dr. Eric Balkavich, who was a wealth of knowledge. I learned a lot about the thyroid in this Uh, podcast, and I hope you do as well. And please, please pick up their book, which is excellent, called The Thyroid Debacle. We'll have all of this information in our show notes. Well, I am so excited to interview my friend, Dr. Kelly Holderman, and her co-author, Dr. Eric Balkavage, and we have two wonderful experts today to really dive deep into this whole thyroid debacle, as they call it. And um, as many people know, I treat chronic illness, and probably I would say 95% of my patients have some type of thyroid dysfunction. And it's not always clear from the lab work. You know, it's a complex um, situation often that we look at labs, but also um, clinical history and of course um, you know how when they feel better when we when we treat uh, the system and of course the system is so tied into every other not only endocrine system but um, you know we we have to look at um, the body as a whole and we're gonna we're gonna do that in this um, wonderful podcast so um, welcome Kelly and Eric I'm so honored that you're on the podcast today thanks for having us thanks for having us well, great. Well, you both um, just um, wrote a book, and you know, can you just tell a little bit about why you felt this topic was so important that you spent the time and the energy to educate us all through your book? Well, I think where we are today with thyroid physiology, I think the title of the book kind of says it all. I mean, we've got people who are being diagnosed with hypothyroidism we're using one lab marker essentially to diagnose them. Uh, that lab marker is not a, is not a, not a great lab marker to be assessing thyroid physiology on its own. And we have patients that are being, are being told they don't have a thyroid condition until this one marker goes out of range. Uh, and then they're put on thyroid medication and they still don't feel well. And then they're told that, Hey, you just eat too much. You, you know, you don't exercise enough or you're just crazy. And I think where we are is really a debacle with what we're doing with thyroid physiology. And we really need to take a different look at thyroid physiology, how we look at thyroid physiology, and really how we interpret, you know, blood chemistry and blood physiology and really look at our patients to begin with. So I think the book, even though it's written for the, for the about thyroid physiology, I think it's a great book to help anybody understand the concepts of how to be healthy and how to kind of assess health and physiology. Mm-hmm. And when you say that um, one lab marker, are you referring to TSH? Yeah. Um, the kind of the standard process is for somebody, if they think they have a thyroid condition, um, is their doctor will run a, a TSH in, in, or a TSH with reflex to T4, which means they'll run a TSH test if their TSH is elevated or, or above lab range or below lab range, then they will run the next test, which is usually a T4 or free T4. Um, but if TSH is within normal range, then the person is, is told they don't have a thyroid condition. But the problem with that is, is that 90, the literature says that by the, by the time TSH goes above the lab reference range, um, the person's lost 90% of their thyroid gland function. That's not the beginning of a thyroid condition. That's the end of a thyroid condition. Uh, the other problem with using one test, TSH, to evaluate thyroid physiology is that we're assuming that it's not impacted by anything. The number one problem we struggle with in this country and many countries is chronic low-grade inflammation. And inflammation will suppress TSH, making it seem normal when it really isn't. And the third problem is, is that one of the most common medications we take is something called metformin, which is a drug for blood sugar problems, diabetes. And diabetes or that medication, and there's a number of other medications, but definitely metformin suppresses TSH, essentially hiding a thyroid condition. And so we've got one marker that's suppressed by the 
primary problem we have in this country, and it's also suppressed by many of the most common medic some of the most common medications we take. It's just crazy that we're using that that one marker to determine the state of somebody's uh, thyroid physiology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, you know, just thinking of um, my practice, um, I would miss a lot of thyroid dysfunction if we didn't test not only TSH and free T4 and free T3, but also the reverse T3. And I know that, well, not to jump ahead of a bunch, but there's it, it's more complex, and I, I agree. I mean, I think um, it, it's just amazing how long these things uh, change to become um, you know, a new standard of care for people to get this, um, you know, this information. So I know you're doing your part with this book to educate people so they can, you know, feel empowered and go to their doctor with, with this. And so you guys, um, really, you know, term this coin cellular hypothyroidism. So what do you mean by cellular hypothyroidism and how is that really different from a primary hypothyroidism condition? So when we talk about cellular hypothyroidism, what drives hypothyroid symptoms is insufficient T3 reaching the receptors inside somebody's cells. And that can happen with a totally healthy functional thyroid gland with normal levels of thyroid hormone in the blood, but the individual cells of our body actually have control of what happens to thyroid hormone once that thyroid hormone comes into the cell. The cells can either activate it, convert T4 to T3, uh, or they can deactivate T4 into something called reverse T3. Uh, if T3 is in the bloodstream, they can bring it in and they can take it right to the nu- re- nuclear receptors, or they can deactivate that to one of four forms of T2. Um, but what drives hypothyroid symptoms is a reduction of available T3 reaching the receptors inside the cells. And it's our opinion, and we talk about this in the book, that that happens long before the gland becomes dysfunctional in most cases. Uh, Some type of cell stress, excessive cell stress, triggers what we call a cell danger response. Then part of the the natural adaptive response to excessive danger at the cellular level is to slow down metabolism and ramp up inflammation. And one of the ways the body does that is by... um, slow is by deactivating thyroid hormone locally and that's the beginning of a thyroid condition and then if the stress is persistent and chronic and then eventually we start to see changes at the thyroid gland but the thyroid gland is not the beginning of the disorder primary hypothyroidism is what most people get diagnosed with is when you've lost 90 percent of the function of the gland and that the primary cause of that loss of function is what's called an immune or autoimmune process something called Hashimoto's thyroiditis and that is gland dysfunction but what's really driving the symptoms is cellular hypothyroidism and many times that's happening for weeks months or years or decades before the gland finally becomes dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. Such a great point, and so there's such an opportunity to help people before the gland, you know, becomes harder to, um, you know, regenerate and repair, right? And so, um, so you mentioned the cell danger response, and um, some of my audience is familiar with that. Some people, this might be a new term, but you know what you're sharing. Um, is essentially, you know, um, because of certain stressors in, you know, the cellular environment that um, changes how we convert um, thyroid into the active form of thyroid. And it seems like that stress or that inflammatory response creates more reverse T3, which essentially inactivates the cell. Am I, am I getting that right? Well, I mean, we look at it like it's a deactivated form, but I think the, the, the key is, is that labs aren't the the lab markers aren't the problem they're the story right Mm -hmm. so when we see the increased reverse t3 sometimes definitely in in allopathic medicine they don't pay really any attention to it um but in functional medicine we pay attention to it we sometimes people think it's a bad thing they think that that reverse t3 blocks t3 from binding to receptors and that high reverse t3 actually is what's causing hypothyroid symptoms and that is not the case Mm -hmm. Reverse T3 actually has a benefit. While it's not necessarily an active form of hormone, there is a huge benefit to the deactivation of thyroid hormone in, in cells, especially in, in when there's infection. I mean, white blood cells uh, specifically utilize uh, and actively deactivate T4 to T3 just for the purpose of, of liberating iodine because iodine is a antimicrobial. 
So it's actually part of the defense process. So if you have bacteria or a, or an organism inside the cell and the cell's deactivating thyroid hormone, not only is it slowing down normal metabolism, not only does that slow reducing thyroid hormone prevent the transport of things like glucose into a cell that could actually support uh, an infection, um, but it also produces iodine, which can be used as an antimicrobial. So there's a benefit to some degree of having the cells deactivate that thyroid hormone and increase reverse T3. Mm -hmm. I love that. I never have really heard it explained that way. And that makes a lot of sense, right? The body is so wise, right? It's not, um, you know, it's adapting to a stress response. And I've, you know, I've been educated to learn that if reverse T3 goes um, up, it can be there's a, you know, a chronic um, infection um, that's affecting the body. And for whatever reason, um, you know, I, I learned all other reasons of why that is. But I, I love that, that um, we use a lot of iodine, not only to support um, thyroid function, but yes, as an anti um, microbial and antiparasitic, and you know, it absolutely can, um, you know, be I, that, that's a really wonderful explanation of the, the body is actually trying to treat the the pathogenic stress. Um, so I, I love that. I love that. I, I love learning something new every day. So, um, so you all also say that, you know, there's um, a spectrum of hypothyroidism. So um, what do you mean that hypothyroidism is a spectrum disorder? Well, when we take a look at hypothyroidism, we typically look at it's, it happens in phases, right? Cardiovascular disease doesn't start when you have your fatal heart attack. Diabetes doesn't start when you have when you get diagnosed with diabetes. It starts as a at the cellular level as a regulation issue first. And so thyroid physiology starts that way too. Excessive, we look at the gland is, I think the gland is rarely the issue first. Uh, it's not that it couldn't be, but I think it rarely is first because if it, the gland was the primary issue and all the downstream chemistry worked, then all, all you would have to do is put thyroid hormone into the system and everything would be turned back on, everything in the people would be great. But our patients don't show up that way. Our patients show up frustrated. The, the scientific literature is showing that uh, the patients are frustrated. Doctors are frustrated um, because patients have biochemical euthyroidism. They're, they're, their blood, their TSH is normalized with thyroid hormone, but they still have weight issues. They still have constipation, low libido, thinning hair. They have still all the symptoms. So we look at, at the cells at the cellular level and consider that hypothyroidism starts there. And so when there's excessive cell stress, you get the deactivation of thyroid hormone as a net that triggers hypothyroid symptoms and how you, what ex symptoms you experience depends on what tissues are being most impacted by thyroid physiology. It's not a, like a, like a switch in your house that's either turned, everything's turned off or everything's turned on. It's more like some systems are turned down before others. And so some, everybody can have different hypothyroid symptoms because it all depends on what what cells and tissues in their body are, are more stressed, at least in the beginning. But we start with the cellular hypothyroidism, slowed down metabolism, and this can develop for weeks, months, or years. TSH can still be normal. Um, and then if it's, it stays for an extended period of time, the danger response that caused the deactivation of thyroid hormone gets ramped up. And that cell danger response triggers the release of more inflammatory chemicals, which upregulates the immune system. But these, that cell danger response also releases things called DAMPs and PAMPs. And I don't know if your listeners are familiar with those terms, but DAMPs are pieces of the genetic material or, or portion, pieces of the cell. And the PAMPs are pieces of the organisms. If there's a bacteria, a virus, some type of organism that's infecting a cell, the the cell will spit some of that information out so that it can alert the immune system that, hey, this is the problem. This is the thing you want to come get and clean up. And it's interesting that the thyroid cells have little receptors. They're called pattern recognition receptors on the, on the thyroid cells. And if those DAMPs and PAMPs bind to the thyroid cells themselves to these receptors, it'll initiate the thyroid cells to go into a self-destruct mode. And it is often the thyroid cells themselves that are in, inviting the immune system, this inflammatory cascade, these white cells to come into the thyroid and actually create destruction. Now, we call that an autoimmune condition, and we say that it's a mistake, but 
I don't know. I, I, I really don't think it's a mistake. I think it's more of a calculated response to, hey, we've got a lot of cell danger. We've got a lot of stress. We need to globally slow metabolism down. And then you see the slowdown of, or you see the, the damage to the thyroid gland. And we call that like Hashimoto's or the autoimmune condition. So that would kind of be that middle phase. And then after weeks, months, or years of this attack of the gland, that's when the person finally goes into their doctor, their TSH is elevated, their T4 is low, and their doctor says you have primary hypothyroidism. But that's the end stage of a thyroid disorder, not the beginning. That's like they've lost 90% of the gland function, they can't even make anymore, and now it's like we're in an emergency situation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's an excellent description and kind of a reframe of this whole you know, still conventional framework of an autoimmune condition, right? So um, as you mentioned, autoimmunity in a conventional setting is um, explained as the immune system, you know, turning on, um, you know, yourself and, you know, damaging, you know, a gland like your thyroid gland. And so, um, again, you know, I know all of us on um, the call here are, you know, uh, you know, trust the, the body's intelligence and nature's intelligence. And we have to kind of take a step back and you know, learn and see the bigger picture. And so what about, um, I guess my, you know, my question, when I think about autoimmunity or Hashimoto's, we think sometimes there can be a viral trigger or even a toxicant, a trigger or an exposure, like a heavy metal that can, um, you know, can, you know, turn this process on, but let, um, what, is, what are your thoughts of what are some of the primary triggers for the cell danger response for a cell to feel threatened and, you know, produce these, you know, dams and pamps and really turn on this inflammatory, um, you know, uh, process. I think that, um, the, the main triggers that I see and that I think, um, across the board that we're dealing with are, uh, biotoxins such as Lyme, um, Epstein-Barr, CMV, um, certainly, certainly heavy metals as well. Um, but you know, the, the, and, and mold, I mean, I think mold is, as underappreciated as something that can, that can set off the, the cell danger response. And, and Dr. Eric always talks about, and he, he's taught me about the allostatic load in that we're really not in a state of homeostasis anymore because our, you know, our bodies are, are challenged. We're challenged in the environment that we live in and what we, the air we breathe, the water that we drink, the food that we eat, our bodies are constantly trying to detoxify and balance back. And so this allostatic load it just, it just is overwhelming. And so, you know, then you add in, let's say you get bit by a tick and you have a, and you have an infection with that. You're, you're just so over overwhelmed. And I think for, um, setting off autoimmunity, I think, um, and, and Eric will comment on this as well. It, it just depends on, you know, your unique physiology. It just depends on, um, you know, I, I do believe that my Hashimoto's had something to do with, uh, the, the chronic Lyme disease that was undiagnosed for, for years and years and years. I, I do think that that played a role in it. Will I ever know 100%? No, but I do know that uh, I've been in and out of the cell danger response multiple times in my life. I've had runs of Epstein-Barr. I've had Lyme disease. I've been in moldy homes before. Um, so it is a matter of, you know, trying to quell down, well, you know, first get at the root cause. And that's what we as practitioners do. You know, we, we try and figure that out stop that process. And then really, um, and, and what part three of our book focuses on is the recovery phase, the, the, the strategies, we call them fitness factors. And, um, that's everything from dietary fitness, um, to environmental fitness, your, your detoxification and really, um, making sure that we're looking at this comprehensively when we're trying to recover and we're trying to, to, re to quell down the, the cell danger response, reverse it and, um, bring our health back. So, um, Eric, I'll let you comment on that as well. Yeah, I think when we're talking about what can trigger, you know, cell danger response and trigger cellular hypothyroidism, it could be anything. And Kelly, as Kelly said, it's the load. You know, we sometimes we're looking for the one sexy thing. Is it Epstein-Barr? Is it this one thing? But, you know, sometimes it's not a thing. Sometimes it's, you know, our our emotions, right? Sometimes it's our poor breathing. Sometimes it's our dis disrupt, chronically disrupted sleep. Sometimes it's trauma. Sometimes it is poor diet. Sometimes it's chronic infections. Sometimes it's all of those things. But the issue is, is that we, we, you know, sometimes it's, it's sexy and functional medicine. You'll see, you know, Epstein-Barr causes it. Yeah, maybe it did, but that's not everybody's cause. And we have to get away from the idea that 
the same stress caused the same that everybody has hypothyroidism for the same reason, right? You can have it for 10 different reasons. The reason what triggered my Hashimoto's wasn't necessarily infection related. Mine was, um, I mean, I was, you know, training in my forties, like I was still in my twenties for endurance activities. And, you know, I'm sleeping four hours a night cause I think that's cool. Um, I'm trying to study, I'm working all day. I'm coaching my kids, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do every business, family, train, work and sleep. And what does that do? That just runs you into a hole. So I didn't do anything ter- like you, that. I, most people would think would be terribly unhealthy, but poor breathing and lack of sleep and overtraining was probably what drove me to have Hashimoto's. And so I wound up, you know, I'm doing my blood work. I'm thinking I'm going to be great, but, um, you know, I'm insulin resistant. I got uh, Hashimoto's and uh, my inflammatory markers are elevated and you have to ask, okay, what am I doing wrong? And then it wasn't, you know, if you ask the average person, uh, you know, is that a healthy person? They would say, oh yeah, they're doing all the healthy things, but just because they're healthy activities. That brings up a great point, Eric, because we were just discussing how, you know, hypothyroidism, you know, we, we think there, there's a, um, a typical phenotype, but I'll tell you this, um, for the audience, if you don't know Dr. Eric Balkavich, he's one of the most fit people that I've ever met in my entire life. And if you would have, you know, when you, when you told me you had, you know, the Hashimoto, I was like blown away. So that is a really good point that, you know, several things, even the emotional, we know that we know the work from Dr. Navio, that is emotional, um, the trauma that we go through can set off the cell danger response as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's so multifactorial and you all, you know, brought um, so many great points and I uh, I can echo that. Um, yeah, I think sometimes we get fixated, you know, it's this one thing or everybody has this, but I, I always, you know, especially with the chronically ill patient population, if it was one thing, they wouldn't be so sick and it would be easier to get them better, right? So it's kind of this whole, you know, um, you know, broad perspective and you know, looking at all these buckets and really treating people comprehensively. And I mean, I, I guess I'm I'm curious um, how you both would work up, you know, a patient just thinking you know, of everyone who's listening and um, saying, oh, my gosh, this this is me. Or how do I, you know, communicate this to this uh, to my doctor? Or how do I start investigating what are my own, you know, triggers that I need to um, start addressing? Um, are there in um, any you know, clinical pearls of assessment or labs or workup um, that you want to share today? Oh, there are plenty, Christine. In our book, part three, uh, you will be blown away. There, I mean, we went in, in such depth. I'm so proud of, of this work. And, uh, you know, there's part one where I, I talk about my allopathic training, what I learned in, in medical school, and give the, uh, the reader a, a perspective of why the doctor is, is treating um, you know, the way they are, how they, how they learn that. So I, I come in and do that. And then part two, Dr. Eric lays out all this beautiful science that, you know, it's taken him years to accrue. And we just heard some of the, the pearls that still blow me away as a practitioner. And then part three is where the, that's where we're, it's loaded with pearls. I mean, we go into, um, things that I didn't even know, um, existed, you know, such as how the, these respiratory techniques and, um, there's 10 fitness factors. So really in there is, is, uh, are concepts that I think if a lay person, a practitioner, it's very valid for anyone. And, and it's very valid for not just people with, with hypothyroidism, but really suffering from just chronic conditions. It's, they're really helpful. I mean, cause who couldn't benefit from cleaning up their diet? I mean, we know that, but you know, having them all laid out and in, in, in ways that there's call to actions and there's things that people can do like you're asking Christine and um, that's what we're really proud of in that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, and we, we talk about the you know from a lab perspective you know that's the tough part is if you're going to an allopathic physician trying to convince them um, to do a different kind of thyroid panel or run more comprehensive blood chemistry panel is going to be really diff- difficult because they're working within a set of guidelines um, that if they step outside those guidelines, they may get their hands slapped. Like, why are you doing that? Those are not medically necessary tests. But when we're looking at patients who have thyroid issues, I think one of the most things, one of the things that's really important is that a, we run a comp, what's, what's, what's a true comprehensive thyroid panel, right? 
Uh, typically, if you ask them if they got a comprehensive thyroid panel done, they'll say yes, that it's a TSH and a T4. Um, and they don't realize that there's probably, you know, nine or 10 thyroid tests that can be run um, to assess thyroid physiology. And all of them have some value. And so we want to look at all of those tests so we can determine what's going on with somebody's thyroid physiology. And then on top of that, we think it's really important to look at, along with that comprehensive thyroid panel, look at a comprehensive metabolic panel. And it's not as simple as just looking at a lab panel for highs and lows. Uh, we talk about this all the time, that when we look at lab values, it's more important to interpret labs based on your patient's signs, your patient's symptoms, and what they're experiencing. So, because you could have a totally normal lab value, but it's inappropriate for your patient. If you had a patient that was sitting in front of you that was tired, fatigued, their hair was falling out, their eyebrows are falling out, they have no libido, you would say, wow, I think they're hypothyroid. But if their TSH came back normal, you might say, oh, then they don't have a thyroid problem. But that's reading a lab report. That's not interpreting it. So then we would have to take a look at, okay, if that TSH is normal, but my patient's got all these symptoms, do I have indicators like inflammatory markers that may indicate that the patient does have inflammation, which would suppress TSH and create the symptomatology? And so if you don't run a full thyroid panel, you, if you don't run a full thyroid panel, you can't see the rest of the markers. And if you don't run a comprehensive metabolic panel with some of those things like inflammatory markers, you miss it. And I, so I think that's really, really important for doctors to understand and patients to understand is that we've gotten so far away from what a comprehensive metabolic panel is. When I first started in healthcare 20 some, 30 some years ago, um, you know, comprehensive panel was like 60 tasks. Now it's down under 14. And so what gets measured gets managed. If you don't measure it, you don't have to manage it. And then it doesn't exist. Yet our patients are struggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, such great points. And when you're looking at a comprehensive metabolic panel for people who might not know what we're talking about, you know, it's typically looking at electrolytes and liver function and kidney function. And um, I guess, are you taking account just, um, you know, what's normal for that patient? I know um, Kelly actually educated me on the role of, you know, bile and thyroid hormone conversion. So looking at, you know, maybe liver markers, um, bilirubin markers, but what kind of, um, you know, pearls or strokes um, do you see in your patients in their comprehensive metabolic panel that points to, um, you know, thyroid dysfunction? Well, first of all, if they're, if they have inflammatory markers that are elevated, so you look at, I'll look at CRP, I'll look at homocysteine, look at fibrinogen, elevated ferritin, low bilirubin, you know, you'll see a lab report, bilirubin, you know, less than 1.3. Well, um, that's, what does that mean? So if a patient's got a bilirubin less than 0.5, they probably have oxidative stress, and that bilirubin is probably being used as an antioxidant. We'll look at uric acid. I mean, there's a number of tests on there we can look at for inflammation. The other thing, marker that's a really good telltale sign that the person's probably got some level of cellular hypothyroidism going on is elevated cholesterol. Uh, thyroid hormone is critical to HMG-CoA reductase. And so if you have cellular hypothyroidism, they're going to probably have elevated cholesterol. Uh, that's even been talked about in the guidelines, but they just kind of ignore it when they're assessing thyroid physiology. A third thing to take a look at is insulin resistance. So whether you're looking at higher fasting glucose, higher fasting insulin, or elevated hemoglobin A1C, to get glucose into the cell requires what they call transporters, glucose transporters, glute transporters. And all those glute transporters require sufficient levels of T3 in the cell to, to have them activated. So anybody who's got insulin resistance, uh, prediabetes, diabetes, has some level of cellular hypothyroidism going on. So that, those are just three things that, or three or four things that we could say are in, that are simple things that we, if we run a more comprehensive panel, we can see. Definitely, if we see problems with uh, elevations of VLDL, um, we can we know that we've got problems with not only bile flow, um, but we've got problems with potentially thyroid physiology. If LDL is elevated, you need thyroid hormone to for your LDL receptors on your liver to work. So if you don't have good cellular levels of T3, you can't you can't bring LDL into the liver to get it cleared out of the system. 
So there's so much value in looking at a comprehensive metabolic panel that you can say, okay, we've got we've got problems going on at the cellular level. We've got cellular hypothyroidism, and we're not out to treat the cellular hypothyroidism, but that's just telling us the story that, hey, something's going on in the liver that's creating cell stress, that's deactivating thyroid hormone. That's why that LDL levels are elevated. That's why VLDL is elevated. That's why we've got liver enzymes that may be elevated. That's why bilirubin's low. So when we really interpret labs, not just read them for high or low, man, you can get a ton of information and we can see the story that our patients are struggling. Mm-hmm. I love this. And um, you preempted some of my questions and I, you know, of course, sorry. Oh, no, no, it's great. No, it's good. Um, I am. Um, no, I'm learning a lot. And, you know, I see, uh, um, I, I know the connection with total cholesterol being elevated in um, cases of hypothyroidism. But, you know, a pattern that we see is there could be kind of a normal cholesterol, maybe a little bit elevated, but most of my patients have a high LDL. And so this is another lens to you know, look at it and looking at this is a really a um, another, you know, clinical indicator that we have to, you know, circle back and look at their thyroid. Um, so no, great pearls. Um, and then I guess, you know, kind of, I know that we've talked about this, like, you know, wide net to cast and look at this as a multi-systemic, you know, process and multifactorial. But um, as we get into treatments, especially, I'm sure a lot of people even, um, you know, a lot of people, depending of how they've been diagnosed, they're on some type of thyroid replacement hormone, right? And so there's a whole um, art of thyroid hormone prescribing. And so how do you guys um, really, where do you stand on thyroid hormone replacement and how do you approach that? You want me to take this one, Kelly? Sure. So I think if somebody's got glandular hypothyroidism and their levels are down, they're going to need some support. But I think where we get into problems is now we see people arguing whether it should be T4, should be T4, T3, should be T3, pulse multiple times a day. And we're trying to fix symptoms by putting more thyroid hormone into a system. If you if you can understand the concept that Kelly and I are talking about in this book that, hey, the problem's at the cellular level, the body's trying to deactivate thyroid hormone, it's trying to shut down thyroid physiology, and now you're trying to essentially fill a bucket up that has holes and you're arguing about, okay, should we put water in there or should we put soda in there? Well, the problem is you have a holes in your bucket, right? So the real solution is to fix the bucket. When it comes to thyroid physiology, I rarely ever have to tinker with thyroid hormone, which thyroid hormone to use or recommend. You know, most of my patients come to me, they're already on thyroid hormone. I'm not a medical doctor. I don't prescribe it and and I don't take them off of it. But what happens is, is that many times what I'm doing is, is sending information back to their doctor who put them on the thyroid medication to reduce the dose or change the dose because they, as the patient, if you fix the things that Kelly and I talk about in the book, we improve their fitness factors, we identify their stressors and reduce or remove those stressors and support the healing recovery, the thyroid often recovers. And so they don't need it. And we're, so the argument is, should it be T4, T4, T3, or T3? My argument is you give them just enough to support basic physiology and then get to work fixing why the body's trying to deactivate to begin with. If you don't fix that, the argument doesn't matter because none of those things will fix the problem. I just had a patient, I talked to her yesterday. Her doctor was trying, because she's overweight, she's she's obese, and so they were driving her TSH. Her TSH was 0.001, okay? Now they didn't do the rest of the panel. They were driving it low. They didn't run liver enzymes. They didn't run anything else. All they were doing is running the TSH and she hadn't had anything run. I ran the enzymes, liver enzymes. Her liver enzymes are off the chart. Alkfoss is like 400. Her GGT is in the 300s. Her other liver enzymes are in the 200s. Uh, her ferritin is sky high, fibrinogen sky high. And I'm like, wait a minute, we got, we got major issues here. This is a person who's had breast cancer. Um, we shouldn't be loading this person with thyroid hormone, A, because we can re-trigger the cancer, and B, we're missing something. And matter of fact, I think we're overdosing her because her free T3 was way too high, and her reverse T3 was really way too high. It was like four, almost into the 40s. 
I'm like, one of the things we need to do is get her off of thyroid hormone. That'd probably be one of the best things we can do. And in 30 days of cutting that thyroid dose down, her liver enzymes improved 50%. Wow. So she's lost in four months, this lady, by just doing the same principles we've talked about in this book, she has lost 40 pounds. Her insulin's gone from mid-20s to 10. She's no longer in the diabetic range as far as hemoglobin A1C or fasting blood sugar. Her blood pressure is normalized. Her liver enzymes are improving. And I think they'll improve even more if we can continue to get her doctors to lower the thyroid hormone dose. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What a great story. And um, yeah, no, that's incredible. And I, I agree. I mean, I, you know, I, I do prescribe thyroid hormone and a lot of my patients have the, you know, clinical signs and symptoms in the labs that, you know, it's indicated indicative, but I, yeah, I'm not satisfied, you know, by just, you know, that solution alone. And I agree that, you know, also when using medication, like thyroid hormone, having a strategy um, of, you know, taking people off of it, right? You know, because I think sometimes we just get in this habit of, okay, we found the problem, we add the medication, and, you know, we're good to go for, you know, a decade or two. And then we don't um, look at, you know, the plan that this is a short term solution as we fix the underlying causes, um, and really try to reverse this. So I, I think those are you know, really excellent points and obviously some wonderful uh, clinical studies or clinical cases um, that you just um, shared. And I know that you guys experience every day. Um, so my, my other question, um, you know, when I think about thyroid health, um, I think about, of course, um, the thyroid's role and how, it, especially in women's health, I'm thinking about the thyroid in relationship to our adrenal health and ovarian function. Um, of course, um, you know, it, it's significant, you know, in uh, male health as well. But can you just talk about that, like, interconnection um, with thyroid um, as well as, like, adrenal and other reproductive um, organ function? Yeah. Um, I'll jump on this one, Kelly, I guess. I mean, we talk about this all the time. Nothing, nothing works in a bubble. I mean, thyroid, almost every cell, every tissue has thyroid receptors. So um, what we see is that when we have the success of cellular stress, we get slowdown of thyroid physiology. That's an adaptive response. But we see all the other systems adapt as well. Um, and so we see changes in, in adrenal physiology. We see changes in GI physiology. We see changes in neurotransmitter physiology. We see changes in hormone physiology, all these things adapt. And what we call this is because somebody will say, well, I have adrenal fatigue and I have uh, dysmenorrhea and I have this condition, I have reflux and I have, you know what? They're, they're given all these individual diagnoses, especially if they haven't been diagnosed with primary hypothyroidism yet. And somebody's telling them that they're all not connected. And that's nonsense. What we refer to it is, is multi-system adaptive disorder. And so when the body's in homeostasis, all these systems, there's plenty of energy to run all these systems. But when we're under excessive levels of stress, there's not enough energy to adapt to the stress. So something has to be shut down so that energy can be pushed towards the thing that's most important, that's survival. And so what we see is all of these systems start to become compromised in time. And what per people don't have is, oh, I just have diabetes, but it's not related to my thyroid condition, or, oh, I just have IBS and it's not related to my thyroid condition, or I just have gallbladder disease and it's not related to my thyroid condition. It's all related. And I think it's super naive of us to really think that it's not related. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy to think that. So when a patient comes to see me, they say, what's wrong with me? I have these five, six diagnoses. I'm like, listen, you have one problem. You have excessive cellular stress, and we need to identify what those things are that are causing that excessive cellular stress and help support you. And then what we need to do is we need to support these all these other systems that have become compromised. That's an adaptive response. That's not a mistake by your body. Those will, they'll probably get better. We may have to support them but they're not unrelated conditions. They're all totally related. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree in that. Um, 
is a great explanation. And I, you know, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, our conventional world will, will wake up and, you know, see this one day, but I'm, I'm so glad that, you know, functional medicine, naturopathic medicine, um, you know, all of these, um, you know, other, um, views of the body that show that we're this interconnected multi-system, um, network and we cannot just treat anything in isolation. I think that's a really wonderful point. And I, um, I'm, you know, I, as I'm kind of thinking a few points that you've made, um, I know Kelly's done a lot of work with genetics and I, um, I, you probably have too as well, Eric, right? And so how do you, do you guys have, um, a place, you know, with all of the genetic information that we have access to on our patients? Do you, um, highlight that or feel like that's, um, an appropriate, um, place to look of why some people might be more susceptible or vulnerable to, uh, cellular hypothyroidism or, um, you know, hypothyroidism in general? Yeah, in, in our book, in part three, one of the chapters is on genetic fitness. So, you know, there are some specific um, polymorphisms in specific um, in thyroid physiology that give us clues to why, you know, a person can be um, experiencing the symptoms. But, um, you know, moreover, I think that the, um, the name of the game is always epigenetics, right? So we wrote the chapter on genetics and we, and we put some of that information in there because that's always of interest to me. You're right, Christine, that, that I, um, I really think that it has merit and I think we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, we're not treating any sort of gene, but I, I think it's part of the picture and I think it's important. Just like we discussed, Christine, when we talked about phase 2.5 detoxification, there were patterns that I was seeing and I used those patterns I was seeing in, um, in patients to really put it together, to put, to put together the, um, you know, the, the ACAT and how we're making bile and the pink. And really, that really helped me. It helped a lot of people and it still does to this day. So that's what we kind of did in that, in that genetic chapter is we, we used, um, some of the, the data there, but we're always stressing on, um, the, the epigenetic factors and how, That'll always take precedence over um, over your 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 genetics, right? And how you're actually expressing them. Eric, did you want to comment on that at all? Well, yeah, I think the key is too. I mean, epigenetics are the king. I mean, because mm -hmm. what we see is that while there is a maybe a predisposition, I've treated hundreds hundreds of patients over the last twenty years. And their genetics stay the same, and yet we're still able to get them to recover, to be able to convert um, T4 to T3 better, right? So there are there are definitely SNPs that make that put people at greater risk of conversion issues, but I don't think those are necessarily the primary. Those may be some of the few cases. I think the vast majority of people, it's just excessive levels of stress, and what we see in thyroid physiology or this adaptation in thyroid physiology is just that an adaptation to be able to adapt to the level of stress um, and if we consider that hey that's if we look at the body and the physiology from that perspective like hey if there's excessive stress the body's going to go into defensive mode inflammation and and inflammatory processes are part of that defense we stop looking at the body like it makes so many mistakes and we look at it for this amazing piece of, of, of equipment that it is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, no great points. And I am, um, you know, as you're talking, I, I'm thinking of like a few patients um, and actually colleagues, um, and I'm thinking about hyperthyroidism. And so do you all have the same approach for hyperthyroidism as hypothyroidism or any comments on, on that? So when we're looking at hyperthyroidism, again, we're, we're talking about an autoimmune dis disorder, maybe a, maybe a set of uh, circumstances that predis predispose somebody to have more hyperthyroidism than, hi than a hypothyroid condition, um, but it's still an autoimmune issue. So while it can have more grave consequences, the, the solutions ultimately come down to the same thing. What are the excessive stressors that triggered the immune system to start making, depending on which what's going on with Graves, is it um, to you know make antibodies that are binding to the receptor that are causing the overactivation? Something triggered that response. So we get the patient out of crisis. We lower their um, 
the success of production, but then the principles are the same. We need to keep the foundational principles the same, which is what can we do to improve their general health and well-being, reduce their excessive stress. I don't think that changes whether they have a thyroid condition, a hypothyroid condition, a hypothyroid condition, a diabetic condition, uh, coronavirus. I don't care what it is. When you know, it's interesting when we wrote this, wrote the book. You know, I had comments from people like, "How come you didn't put you know the protocols in for how to treat a thyroid condition?" I'm like, because every every person's thyroid condition is different. There is no if you want a protocol, the protocol go to check, go to section three or part three of the book, and that's the protocol. Improve your diet, improve your fitness, improve your sleep, improve your breathing, improve your mindset, improve your habits. You want a formula? That's the formula. But there isn't a supplement formula. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that, right? You know, there's a lot of, of course, you know, supplements and herbs and all of that have a place, but this is a, a lifestyle and we want this to be sustainable and uh, corrective, right? And, um, you know, things don't uh, just turn around overnight with even the right supplements. So I, I completely agree. Um how about, is there anything else, um, any other words of wisdom or pearls that you want to share? We've covered so much and um, you've definitely shared some insights that have my um, my wheels turning for certain patients and just looking at things uh, through the lens you just shared. But is there anything else on your mind that you want our audience to know before we tell them more about your book? I think two things come to mind is that we we set out to um, write this book for both the layperson and the practitioner. So there are going to be parts of it for a layperson that we tried really hard. There was a lot of re-editing on Eric's end of trying to make it um, very digestible for just even someone who, who really doesn't even know where their thyroid gland is. So we really start off and try and give a, re- a very nice layout so that it makes sense. You know, and, and I, I've actually had some patients where they don't even understand where they, they, they think that TSH is produced by their thyroid. So I think there's even, even the, um, the best doctors don't have time to explain thyroid physiology. So again, we set this, we set out to write the book for the lay person as well as to hand it to their practitioner because it is a manual. It, it I mean, part two has uh, so many references. I mean, there, there's, it just really is based on, the good clinical science that doesn't get to your doctor's office for 17 years on average. So here it is. Here's the future delivered to you and, you know, <laughs> and spread the word because, um, you know, you don't find texts like this. You don't find people like Dr. Eric who, um, who take the time. I mean, this, you know, Christine, this takes so much time to go through the literature and research this and then put these concepts together. And then again, but deliver them in a, in a manual where um, it's, it's for both, both the, the again, the layperson and the doctor. So I, I'm really proud of that. And I really want the people who are listening to know that, you know, don't be overwhelmed because it's really sciencey, um, but because it's, it's, it's going to help you. Part three is easy to understand and to put into action. Literally, you can put into act, you could just skip to part three if you're really chomping at the bit and you can put those into action the, you know, the day you get the book, you can start. So it's, it's really, really, really good stuff. Yeah, and I would say that I, Kelly did a really good job of laying out in in the beginning of the book. You know, while um, you know people might want to get that part three right away, like, well, how do I fix it? But it's important for people to understand the medical perspective of it. You know, we it may come out like, hey, we're you're anti medicine. That's not really what we're not. We're not indicting our fellow medical doctors. We're not saying that they're that they're the problem. Really, it's the whole model or the system of how we're looking at the physiology. Um, and we don't foresee that changing anytime soon, but that's that's good because that gives functional medicine its place and, me- and allopathic medicine has its place. But if you when people read that first section of the book, they're gonna they're gonna get a better concept of what medical doctors are taught and why they be, why they do things a certain way. It's not because they're necessarily ignoring you they're following guidelines they're following what the rules are and it's you know it's the kelly's of the world who are in the allopathic medicine and get frustrated themselves within that model or have their own health crisis and then have to reach outside that model and look for something else that they that they then come to functional medicine and they say oh okay there's a whole parallel universe here i didn't even know existed um but we want people to know that their, their doctors are doing what they're taught. This is just a totally different model. 
And if you <laughs> if you just go in there and start talking to them, maybe about cellular hypothyroidism, they may look at you like you've got three eyes. So because uh, it's just not something they've probably been they did. They definitely haven't been taught it and they probably haven't spent the time to to read it and research it. So but this will help somebody understand why when they go there and they're frustrated and they say, why aren't you running those tests? They'll have a better understanding why it's not their doctor just blatantly disregarding them in most cases. It's just that they're following the, the guidelines that have been mandated by to them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think it's such a great point because it's, you know, um, yeah, I mean, the it's really important to understand where people are coming from and to, you know, speak their language and to also, you know, it takes time to change a paradigm or change a narrative. And, you know, as you said, they're the Kellys of the world um, who are in the conventional system and have their own health journey and, you know, see this other way. And, you know, it's like I, I you know, I, I see as we're kind of in this health crisis room for all medicine, right? And how do we really work more together? And, you know, the conventional medicine is really amazing in a certain very specific, um, you know, set of circumstances. And then, you know, um, you know, this is where we shine um, functional medicine, naturopathic medicine, alternative medicine. We are so well suited to help people with chronic illness and really, um, you know, recover their health and look at the root cause. So I just honor both of you and applaud you for taking the time to write the book. I know that you both are really busy clinicians. So to actually take the time to write a book is no small undertaking. And I'm, I'm just super in awe and inspired and impressed. And I'm grateful that you, um, yeah, just put your knowledge base and research out into the world. So thank you. Thank you. Um, and we appreciate that. Yeah, and, and everything you're doing, Christine, we, you know, we are in awe of everything you put out education-wise and your brilliance, and, um, and, and just thank you so much for having you having us on, on your podcast. We really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. I know this won't be the last time, and I'm excited to share your book, The Thyroid Debacle. We'll have a um, link in the show notes of where people can find your book and learn more about you all. If you want to share both of your websites, so people, if they want to learn how to work with you both as individuals, if you can share that now, I'd love to um, put that in the notes as well. Sure. Mine's just drkellyhalderman.com. And mine is rejuvagencenter.com. Awesome. Well, you all have a beautiful day and thank you so much for being on the podcast. And I'm sure we will be talking soon. Thank, thank you. you.